0: hey y'all welcome back to fat and black in texas it's me your hostess nikki devon today i'm sitting down with ricardo lowe and tracy lowe no relation but both of whom work at the institute for urban policy research and analysis or iupra ricardo is a research associate and tracy lowe is the assistant director of assessment both are the hosts of the black lives texas podcast and today we're having a mini state of the union but for black people Let's start the show. Tracy, Ricky, welcome. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Hey, thanks for inviting us. I'm excited to be here.
2: Absolutely. Me too. Thank you.
0: Now, before we get into it, um, would the two of you just tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do?
2: My name is Ricardo Lowe. You can call me Ricky. Um, So a little bit about myself. Let me see. So. I am the child of two Caribbean immigrants who uh, immigrated in the 80s. My father joined the military and, you know, as a military child, I lived all over the place. I lived in England. I lived in Colorado. I lived in Panama. Pops ended up settling down in San Antonio where all military folk go at some point in their life. (laughs) Um, And so that's Mm -hmm. where I did my middle school and high school years in a small city called Converse, Texas, Texas. where Judson High School is, so Judson Rockets. Shout out to y'all. Um, <laughs> and then you know, after after that, you know, um, I went to get my bachelor's degree at UTSA, master's degree in uh, at Texas State University. Um, from there, I worked for the federal government as a statistician before getting this awesome opportunity to work with IUPRA here at UT Austin and uh so i'm i'm a research associate there and a demographer there uh while attending uh utsa again for my doctoral degree so besides that i got wow. two baby boys uh and my wife and yeah little brother big sister we're just a big happy family so
0: nice i like how you say all that as if it's like oh yeah you know i just you know i do all this stuff that's amazing no big deal it's fine no big deal <laughs> and i got kids and shit no big deal it's fine
2: tracy <laughs> <laughs> he does that all the time i say
1: so you do realize you have all this going on he's like oh it's okay well, it's <laughs> right. no. yeah it's he, he just, just slips it in casually that's yeah rookie. that's
2: you know how we do deal. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So I am from Dallas, Texas, Oak Cliff to be exact. Oh shit. And usually people say the Oak Cliff, that's my hood song. Uh, if y'all need to play <laughs> a little music right here, just so people know, feel free. Um, <laughs> so I'm not going to rap because it will not sound right. But you have to listen to it to get the full effect of where I'm from. Um, so I uh, grew up in Oak Cliff and um, I have an older brother. And, my, with, and with my mom and I ended up going to school as a first generation student at Texas A&M University in College Station which a lot of people wow. say is nowhere land and it, it's nowhere land um, so went to school there then did my masters there and then worked there so I was there for 10 years of my life and I really wanted to come back to Dallas finally got back to Dallas and then Austin knocked on my door Uh, for PhD program. And then I came back to Austin, which is another predominantly white city. So Mm -hmm. apparently these cities attract me, but not like, because I like them, but that's just where the institutions are. So um, my undergraduate degrees were in interdisciplinary studies. And then my master's degree was in student affairs. because I really like working with students and student development, especially when we talk about black students and their success. And then I came to UT uh, for a program in higher education leadership because I wanted to be able to make changes at like the, the higher levels of administration and as a black woman I knew I wasn't going to be able to advance with with just a master's degree they would need right. letters and even with the letters it's still going to be so, hard.
0: So many letters you need yeah. it's like you need all the letters you need all I the, need all the
1: <laughs> I need all the alphabet and letters and it's still, mm-hmm. it's still hard but yes. um after that degree, I was looking, you know, looking for a of course, and the, the opportunity to work for IUPRA as a postdoc came up. So I was like, what? Y'all are doing work on Black people and policy? I was like, I, I have to take advantage of this opportunity. So I ended up at IUPRA and I've been there for two years, um, working on a lot of their needs assessment projects and just publications and briefs. And my focus this year has really been on Black women and putting that voice out there because nice. I felt like it was missing, so... That's how I ended up there, and from there, that's how I ended up on the podcast, um, Black Lives Sixes.
0: So, for people that may not know, will you tell them what IUPRA is?
1: Mm-hmm. We got a lot of acronyms at UT. Uh, yes. But IUPRA
2: is so <laughs> <laughs> so the Inst- yeah.
1: Institute for Urban Policy Research and Analysis. Um, it's a long title, but we, for short, we say IUPRA, or people pronounce it a lot of different ways. So however you pronounce it is correct.
0: I got to tell you, so I went to UT and when I researched IUPRA, I was, I'm going to be super honest. I was blown away because when I was there, I mean, we had like groups in African-American studies, but not on the policy level. There was nothing, there was nothing like that. Nobody was having these conversations. And side note, the first (laughs) <laughs> because um you know, I'm from Austin. So um I was, that's another reason why I re- I'm glad we're having this conversation because you know, when you're from Austin, you get, you have a very polarized view of relations in Texas, right? Because it's a little bit of a, you know, it's what number one, it didn't start off super, super white when I was growing up, but now it is very, very white. And it is a little bit of a bubble. So um, when I went to UT, my first black friend, at UT her name was LaKeitha and she was from Oak Cliff and <laughs> we she, represent- took, she and her family took me to the state fair for the first time I, oh, I just remember that's I just, tradition. I, oh my god I just like I remember there being a very clear difference you know what I mean I just be I, like this sounds real cheesy but I remember being like oh this is this is black like, yes. this is black <laughs> Like, mm-hmm. like this is black black like everybody mm-hmm. is family and i remember her telling me like not just anybody can come in this neighborhood but because you're family you you're safe you're fine now and, and i just remember feeling this sense of like this is what it feels like to be surrounded in a neighborhood mm-hmm. by black people and black mm-hmm. businesses and black you know what i mean i haven't forgotten yes. it was years ago
1: yes it was years that's
0: ago. how it was. i feel <laughs> every time i go home yeah, yeah. i if. I love Oak Cliff. I ain't gonna lie.
2: Oak
0: and, Cliff? And, and, and my <laughs>
2: Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. We was playing that in Converse. We I mean, wasn't even from Oak Cliff, and we was playing yeah. that song. Yeah, that, that song was so up. dope.
0: So I wanted to talk a little bit about um, Black Lives Texas podcast. Will you tell me a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, so initially when we did... Um, so initially, there was something going on in Austin where AISD wanted to close down schools, right? And mm-hmm. the schools that they wanted to close were in predominantly Black and Latino communities. And so we wanted to highlight that via podcast so that people can have an understanding about what is going on and, you know, the, the things that led up to these school closures. But in the midst of that, we got hit with COVID-19 and um, COVID-19 came and it swept through and, you know, still here, as we all know. And it kind of steered us into a different direction. We wanted to know how this pandemic was inhibiting, um, you know, school districts across um, the state, but not only just school districts, but families and students, you know, how how was the mental health of the students? How was the mental health of the parents? You know, and so we just wanted to highlight on all of those different things. um, And that's pretty much what the Black Lives Texas podcast was trying to do. Do
0: you find that and, you know, when I first started doing this, I had all these very grand ideas about what I wanted my podcast to be. And, and, Uh you know, halfway through, I was like, Oh fuck. Like there's some way more important things that are Mm -hmm. happening. (laughs) So I need to shift my focus. I need to shift my focus a little bit because it's, it's, it's like you said, there are all these conversations that people aren't having now, specifically, specifically as it, as it applies to Austin and, I guess I will say the lopsided way that, um, you know, they're handling education and going back to school and kind of passing the buck. Are you guys finding that, you know, in, in starting your podcast, are you finding that it was, you were just like uncovering more and more and more, and it was getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And how has that driven your podcast? Like, you know, if it, do you find that like ever, the more it's like a Russian nesting doll, and like the more, like the more uh-huh. levels you take out, it's like oh shit, we should we got to this? Did you find that the the podcast became broader, or did you did it make you want to like really focus on other things or like specific things?
1: For me, because when Rick, uh, when Ricky came in, uh, I know that him and another one of our colleagues, Anika, were doing a lot of educational research in like the K through twelve area, so. For me, and I was on another larger project, but jumping on, on this project and, and, and diving into education, um, it did feel like the Russian doll. So the more we talked to people, the more we started to connect the issues, and they started to connect to the broader issues of stuff that was happening in the Black community. So in terms of one digital divide... And, and understanding that populations, like black populations, and I was I was really connecting it back to Dallas because I was remembering my own experiences and thinking, if this had happened when I was in school, I don't know what I would have done because I, I didn't have internet in my mom's house until well into graduate school. So trying to think about what these kids are going through in terms of black communities is I having access to broadband connections or computers. because again, Exactly. I didn't have a laptop until I was in high school. Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like, okay, so so you all, um, so Austin ISD and figuring out what they're doing to address all of these problems in terms of digital divide. And then you have food insecurity because a lot of students are already going to school for food. Mm-hmm. And they're, like, they're not missing days of school for food. And then on holidays when it's closed down, parents have to think about what food costs. And my mom, she still tells me today, she was like, when you were out for the summer, I was like, I don't know how I'm going to feed this child because it's expensive. And so like, yes. So the more we started talking to people and and really kind of understanding what was it wasn't happening or who could do something about it and who couldn't, it was just like, this is, this is big, this is massive. And in the course of the summer, I don't think you can address all of these issues that are happening. And so with, with school, I think school has already started in Austin. And Ricky, mm-hmm. he can talk more to this because his children have already started school. But addressing this issue, I think people thought the the virus was just going to go away. And since yep. it hasn't, yep. what does that mean now? Because you, you really have to tackle these mm-hmm. issues because there's a possibility that kids are going to be distance learning. And there are already gaps between achievement gaps between black students and other other. other populations just naturally so this is going to just create an even bigger gap for right. the student population.
0: i was totally I, like when all of this started i was absolutely like i mean for lack of a better word i was just shook by the the assumption that everybody was gonna have a laptop i was like okay so y'all are talking about distance learning as if every child in every household is going to be able to just pop open a laptop and learn. Like you're not, -hmm. there was not even, it felt like there wasn't even a consideration that maybe, you know, people that lived in different areas wouldn't have that kind of access. Like it. And even now still here we are in September and like, there's just no way that we're prepared for it. There's no, there's no way. I'm so like, I'm just, I'm fascinated. I feel like, this is the first time I'm hearing this. I'm having this conversation and that fascinates me.
2: Yeah. Like it's it's crazy, too, because, I mean, all these inequities have been there for so long and now this is exposing it. Right. So, like, mm-hmm. even if you give kids laptops, you know, a lot of these kids don't have Internet access where, where they're at. Right. And, it, it, you know, sometimes that accessibility has something to do with whether they can afford it, you know. And so, you know. It's like if you look into it, a lot of these kids have been struggling to to do homework for a long time because of those same reasons, and nothing mm-hmm. has been done to help remedy that. And that's what we we talk a little bit about how internet service should be really a need. It's like a a necessity.
0: It is right when
2: it, when, when it comes to kids. Like how can, you, how can you how can you how can you participate in the learning experience if you don't have access to internet? And even if you have access, I mean, what about being able to navigate? you know, your way around the software needed to participate in the learning experience. Like my kids right now, like I'm still struggling on how to, you know, understand how to do some of these things for my kids, you know. And I'm, I'm supposed to be, you know, quote unquote, more privileged. And it's <laughs> like, it's like, you know, it's tough. It's really tough. And so a lot of these things have been existing for a long time. And, um you know, it's going to take a long time before we start waking up and realizing we need to be focusing our attention on it.
0: And I think specifically in Austin, too, because Austin likes to we like to pet ourselves on the back about how about how diverse and awesome we are and how and how progressive we are <laughs> and how, yeah, huh? liberal we are. And it's like, OK, yeah, fine. But <laughs> like you're also completely ignoring the very real, like segregated way this city operates and has operated for sure since I was a kid. Like mm-hmm. it, it, it's like. It's it's the assumptions that get to me. It's it's just like, and somebody else pointed this out to me the other day. Just like you said, Tracy, they're like, okay, so think about the kids that the only time they really get food is at school. Think about the kids that sometimes the safest place that they have is at school. And so now, you know what I mean. Like, I don't think that anybody was having these conversations. On top, it, like it's been happening for so long, nobody was talking about it. Now here we are, and it's like, oh, there's this, oh, there's this, oh, there's this, oh, there's this, and it's still not put. I don't think there's enough importance put on it. it I just because you know it's little, it's little black and Latino kids, so, <laughs> so <it's> yeah, like,
1: <laughs> yeah. And to your point, in terms of the safest place to be is at school. Uh, Ricky and I just did a series on Black women frontline workers a lot of black families are having to go to work. And so, again, technology, little kids, they don't really know how to use it. Mm-hmm. And when your parents have to go to work, where are the kids supposed to go? Who are they supposed to be with to learn, to get to get online, to, to do all of this stuff? Because I have a friend and he has, he has a, a kindergartner. And, oh you know, he's well-educated and everything else, but he was just like, I didn't know how to like, navigate all this tech stuff on my own and figure it out, then the the instructions that the teachers give don't work. So I can only Mm -hmm. imagine what the other parents are trying to do to get their kids online. And then he's like, and they're also not letting me access this stuff in advance as if my fifth my like kindergarten is gonna uh, gonna cheat on it he's like but no i need to know i'm working from home i need to know what app how many beans i need to have out if i need to go buy right. cheerios for whatever right. and i can get all this stuff prepared so that way when he has to do it i could just give it to him he can go versus me trying to get off the call trying to find all of this stuff all of a sudden and trying to do it the morning of so it's even a matter of for for, for parents who 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 might have like a tech technology background and technology literacy and are working from home it's still it's still a nightmare from from what i've heard so all of those things people haven't taken into consideration because there's just been this natural assumption that everything is going to work great everyone has the privilege there's going to be someone there who can do it but it's Mm -hmm. like no that's not how it works
0: and also if teachers have lesson plans why wouldn't you give parents lesson plans (laughs) <laughs> that exactly. doesn't. there should be like here's what we see for the uh-huh. next even if it's i don't give a fuck if it's a week here's what we see for this week or the next two weeks or the three weeks or whatever because i mean that's i think about like so i'm six years older than my sister and and we had a two-parent home Both parents worked all the time. And then on top of that, my mom was in school. So there was a lot of times that I was just at home with my sister, just the two of us. Right. And and like, even with the six year difference, even with, you know, me having very clear instructions from my mother, I, you know, just keeping her alive was, the, was just like, was the thing that I had to yeah. focus on. There wasn't no, I didn't have to teach her shit. I didn't have to like, like we ate no. peanut butter. And it was just like, all I really had to do was just keep her alive. That was it. I cannot imagine. I can't imagine the kids that have the same kind of makeup as me, like an older sibling and a younger sibling trying to take care while the parents at work like it's just there's so many variables that i just feel like should have been considered you know like it's that that i just every t- it's like the it's like the russian nesting doll every time i think about it i'm like oh shit and there's that too and there's that too and there's this too and it just mm-hmm. it
2: just
0: it makes me mad i'm having a, <laughs> having a little bit of a hard time with austin right now because of the gentrification so i'm a little i'm a little on the edge but
2: Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. And I can say, you know, having two baby boys, um, one who's three, one is five, it's been really difficult. You know, me and my wife both work full time. Um, You know, I'm doing school at the same time. It's really, really difficult to try to find a way to make sure that your child is getting everything that he needs in school and that he's going to be prepared to move on the next grade like is, is he going to be reading at a third grade level if this continues on for the next year or two you know what i mean it's like that's that's stuff that gets in your head and so it's, it's stressful and i can imagine how other how how other folks feel about it
0: yeah and i especially i can't i feel for parents i feel for teachers like just because it's the unknown right so like our you know government doesn't seem to really have any kind of plan or grasp of you know, like, we anticipate that at least the next nine months, this is what life is going to be like. And here, <laughs> here are things that we're going to put in place. We, we ain't getting none of that. We're getting none nah, of that. No, they boo-boo, no. Nah. <laughs> it's just like, local government have it. This person will have it. There's somebody else to do it. I'm like, what the fuck is happening? Like, why isn't somebody just being like, look we are fucked for the next year. So this is what this looks like for the next year. This is what your life is going to be like. And here's how we're going to make this, you know, it's like the absence of leadership is so strong right now that if, if it feels like I'm in a weird satire, (laughs)
2: yeah and it's all deliberate though because you know you know trump he reduced the size of you know to reduce the cdc budget you know so many scientists who have left the federal government Mm -hmm. since trump been in office so a lot of that information that we can get from credible people who know what they're talking about they're not there and Mm -hmm. you know they're not there because trump moved them and then we have this whole neoliberal project going on where the federal government wants to back off and just let somebody else do the work. If if it's not local governments, then let, you know, corporations do the work. And so, you know, that always is going to look bad, especially for black folk. We always going to bear the brunt of that impact because, you know, just letting this whole free market capitalism thing work and it doesn't ever work for us. We're always at the lower tier. Ever.
0: Ever. Every time I have these, like, you know, sometimes you have these, these online conversations with people and get into arguments with people. And like, it's so... It's so elementary to me. I'm like, this system is created so that if you are not wealthy and white, you will not succeed unless you, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so, yeah. you know what I mean? Unless you rap, play basketball or, you know, I'm, I'm generalizing, mm-hmm. but you know what I mean? Like for the average everyday person, that's just like doing what they love or don't, or doing what they have to do for their family. The system is set up so that you are going to fail. Like... Period. period, like, period, yeah. and they are showing us all the time. So, anytime I hear or see a black person that's like, I love Trump, I'm just like,
2: Who's saying that? No, I'm, just play. That's what I was, I was like, i was just playing. I see some, I see some. It's... Oh my god,
0: <laughs> Hezekiah Walker, some other oh, black yeah. person. Yeah. Like, I'm like, Are you serious? What I. And it's not even about, like, I had a conversation with a woman the other day, and I was like, she's like, Black people, the Black community does not allow for Black conservatives. And I'm like, no, that's not correct. That's not correct. If you want to be a conservative, that is fine. That is not what this is about. But if you absolutely refuse to acknowledge the fact that Trump is a raging, just homophobic, racist, bigoted, (laughs) like, like, there's some facts here. There's some facts here. He doesn't support science, Like, you know what I mean? Like there's some facts here. And if you refuse to just acknowledge those facts, I I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know.
2: Yeah. True conservatism is, is, is pretty much gone. I mean, a lot of even white conservatives had something negative to say about Trump before he got in office. And they're, they're not going to say anything now because they have a constituency, but Lindsey Graham hated Trump. So, I mean, it's like it's not the fact that you're a black conservative. I mean, I think all opinions are welcome in our community. You know, we might you know, these are barbershop talks. People are always going to have these disagreements about stuff. But when you are supporting somebody who outwardly shows that he has no regard for humanity, you know, and is a blatant narcissist, then it becomes, you know, difficult for you, you know, to have a conversation around that. Like, how can you support something like that?
0: Are you guys? Are you finding yourselves having any of these tough conversations with people, either in your life or outside of your life? Just like, you know, anytime election year comes along, I I learn a lot of things about people (laughs) that I maybe either knew or didn't realize I knew. Or are you guys finding yourselves having these conversations?
1: I mean, I have conversations. Well, I've been when COVID hit, I was trying to avoid everyone with with, uh, with fans. Period. So it's like, first of all, I'm trying to figure this out for myself. So I don't, I don't need you sending me Instagram posts. It's making me anxious, and you don't know what's going on. But I, uh, I've had to have a few conversations with people, um, via text message, and present like a few facts uh, and figures. Um, but it's just been real interesting, just to, to. To, because I, I don't necessarily do Facebook a lot, but I do Instagram because I can control who I see and nobody needs to follow me. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just been interesting to just go through and and read what uh, I guess black celebrities like how they've been navigating and moving through these spaces. I listen to a podcast called The Read, and and I it's, love it the Read, yeah. yeah. I it love felt like week. every other week they were talking about Terry Crews. Oh on? No. Go- oh my God! What is That's going crazy. on with him? I don't know. Sick and shut in this. Has been expanded.
2: Damn. So did you?
1: Did you see? I, oh my god! Did
0: you did you hear the episode when they were talking about how when Chance the rapper Chance yes. the rapper said
1: something? Yes. And
0: oh, and he my. had to take it
1: back because he looked just like Terry Crews.
0: Because he looked just yes. like Terry. Crews. I mm-hmm. yeah. I am like I <laughs> for the longest loved Terry Crews until I started read. I'm like, is this man? I'm like, what? Is, he has Kanye syndrome. I don't know what's happening. Yeah. I don't know what's going yeah. on.
2: Like, it's I, just like yeah. he thinks so. All, like people feel like you know. They try so hard to think independently that they feel like they're doing something. Like you're just misinformed, though. Like you're just yeah. misinformed. You don't understand what you're talking about, you know. And I think he's one of those people who thinks that he's thinking independently, but he's actually not thinking at all. Oh
1: my god! Yeah. So it for me that's been the most, and I can't educate them. But it, it's been interesting to be able to watch from afar how how other black people educate them and like their views and and. And so that's been fun for me that's, that's, that's been fun but like the personal education hasn't but yeah I I've had, I've had a few friends who I feel like could be undercover conservatives uh, yeah. in, in their own right and I say undercover because they won't just come out and be like yeah I support some of maybe the financial policies of Trump I don't mm-hmm. support Trump but it's like no I already knew you were leaning yeah. into that side and that's fine because I hang out with them diversity of, of opinion and thought but, uh, but even them, they don't like Trump. And so I think it's it's been interesting to kind of watch them reconcile their, their political views with the being that represents their political views at the moment. Right.
2: That's the problem, too. I feel like I had to cut a lot of people off, though, because, you know, <laughs> uh, I remember Noam Chomsky said that, you know, certain things you can't have conversations about because then you start to see. How people dehumanize things in order to prove their point, mm-hmm. and so like in order for you to to be supportive of Trump, you have to acknowledge um, certain anti Black sentiments that I can't I have no time for. I can't be friend with somebody who who does that, right? And so you know, people talking about um, you know Ahmaud Arbery being shot and trying to justify that. I've seen people do that. I've seen people who you know talk about white nationalism and say try to compare it to black nationalism, quote unquote. Um kind of like what Terry Crews did, you know. It's like in order for you to defend Trump, you find yourself in a position where you end up dehumanizing other people, and that's right. the whole point. You exactly. can't you can't fall into that trap. Because once you do, you gotta get cut off. And it it just you you get to see people's true colors around this time, which is a good thing. Yeah. But you but Yeah, it's you could
0: chop and block. I have I have no
2: like a light switch, cut them off. Se- like, <laughs> like
0: seriously. I used <laughs> I used to be able to be like, all right, you know Diverse opinions like it, everything is not you know everything doesn't happen in a vacuum like i re- I respect your opinion, right, we can agree to disagree, but with Trump, I have no room for it, I have no room, I have no patience, I have nothing, I have nothing for this, I have nothing for it, and every time somebody's like, well this I'm like no nothing that you say after I support Trump matters nothing you said because essentially what you said is I support Trump I hate black people I like in my head like I know it's irrational but to me the two are the two are hand in hand like I there's Trump has all of this (laughs) untrue shit on his website say all this shit that he says that he's done and so there's there's been this list of things that trump has done being passed around the internet and you know a simple google search or just if you read it you're like that's actually not true like if you just take the time to read it and google some of them you can see the half of the half of it is bullshit but i've noticed a couple of my like my gay friends and a couple of my Black friends and Black gay friends passing around this information. And like, in an, in an effort to not necessarily argue, but just in an effort to be like, hey, as a Black person, you have a responsibility. What you post as a Black person, people are going to take and use and say, see, mm-hmm. this Black person likes Trump. This Black person gets it. And I know that sounds silly and childish but that's how people operate on the internet like so you have this obligation you have a responsibility to fact check the shit that you put up (laughs) and you know the response is always the same well I don't have to post links people can google it for themselves I'm like yeah but you putting it up as fact okay well we just cut you off I can't (laughs) Like, 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 (laughs) Like, even when I try to dip my foot in it I'm like fuck it I can't I can't this is stupid I can't even I can't I, like, like my brain, like, I can't even have conversations about Black Lives Matter anymore, because because uh, I'm just at a point to where, like, somebody posted on my page, they're like, oh, no, they understand it. They just choose to ignore it. They, like, mm-hmm. like you, don't have to, uh, you don't have to explain Black Lives Matter. People know what it is. They just choose to ignore it, because they're racist. Like, stop wasting your time. It's what my friend was to, like, stop wasting your time trying to explain to people what it is. They know what it is. They choose to act like they don't understand it and that's where all of, all of my energy is right now just having these conversations with people that seem to question the black I just I'm frustrated
1: yeah it kind of makes you feel like your theme song should be like "Nuck if you book like you just go around <laughs> saying that all day uh, just blasting out your window when everybody said so anybody says something to be like oh but Nuck, if you book what do you <laughs> And that's not promote violence, but I'm just saying, like, it really, it it, it really is like a okay. If you're gonna say something, step up. Let's do it. Let's get it. Support your facts. Let's figure this out. Um, But what you say is true. But I think a lot of people uh, have mimicked the RNC in terms of what they did, bringing those two women on who had interviewed, had been interviewed, but not for for it to be viewed on a Republican National Convention who were supporting Trump or those two the two uh, the two women who talked about like the housing development and stuff. And that intention was not for it to be viewed on the R S C but they made it seem like they were supporters of Trump. So it, it, it makes sense that his fan base would do similar stuff in terms of posting what what he mm-hmm. calls fake news on on their websites. And unless you fact check it, you won't know that it's actually not legitimate like that was not the intent he didn't do any of this stuff so so how are you how
0: are the how are you guys <clears throat> how are you culling your intake like how are you how are you keeping? especially as it pertains to just, like, look seeing the protests, seeing what's happening. Because, I mean, I, I get a little white fatigue. I get a lot... And I have a lot of white friends, because Austin. And so, <laughs> like, I get white...
2: Because
0: Austin. Because <laughs> Austin. And so, like, I have a little bit of white fatigue and I have to just be like, I love y'all, but I... I got to be with black people because I like, you know what I mean? Like everything that we're fed, you know, I'm having to really like strip down my intake on, on everywhere, on the news, on media, social media, anywhere. I'm having to just like, (sighs) cause it's hard for me not to take that shit seriously. What's your method of just like, you know, watching what you intake, like when it comes to news and information and all that stuff.
2: You know, um, I do a lot. Of, I, I write a lot of poems and I've been doing that for a while to help, you know, chill myself out. Um, you know, I try to articulate my points as much as possible by writing it, whether it's a op-ed or whether it's a poem or whether, you know, it'd be an essay or whatnot. But I, I ain't gonna lie. This has been a very tough time to do that. There's just like a too much going on. So... Especially, you know, for black folk, it's like way too much going on. So I don't know what avenue to really navigate in order to get away from the madness. And I think that's what's most stressful about 2020. Mm-hmm. It's it's different for us. I mean, every, every year is different for us, but like it's real, real different like right now. So.
1: Mm-hmm. I've been reading fiction a lot because I, I had this stack of books that was like history of black women and all of this stuff on the side of my bed. But when all of this happened, I was like, okay. I need to, to move to something different. Yeah. Uh, especially working in this setting with the Institute and when you're researching yourself, basically, in your community all day, and it's not the greatest of information. It, it's it's. I had to intentionally make sure that I took a break and shifted gears at night. So I had to turn to fiction. I talked to my mom a lot. She's super, she'd be like, I'm super militant and radical. So I'm just going to tell you how it is. So I talked to her a like, lot. She gives <laughs> me all the joy. Um, when she goes on her rants and I can yes. go on my rants and so you know if you have her on the show, it's no telling what she'll say. So um. Yes, yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. but yes. I talked to her a lot, but I have in the beginning was I was really intentional about who I talked to. Um and there would be times where I did not turn on the news, I didn't go on Facebook. I, I literally like you had to to cut out what I took in um not watching videos that people are posting people were like I said sending me crazy stuff about COVID I was like I'm gonna just let that sit there mm-hmm. let you fact check it figure out that that's nothing that needs to be sent to me but it, it has been and the, and the white fatigue is real um so just oh, just Very pro- protecting oh, like uh protecting my peace I guess I should say oh, yeah. uh, was my mantra and, and that meant really like close knit group of friends. Everybody else, it was like, y'all don't need to talk to me. But just creating that <laughs> creating that space intentionally every night. And if it was just me sitting with myself, that's what it had to be. And my therapist is great. so yes.
0: come, on, there. come on, she was therapy. there. She was
1: there.
0: I, I, it's really funny because I have a black therapist. Me <laughs> too. <laughs> oh my god.
2: Oh, my God. Life
0: changing. (laughs) It's just because there's just there's a level of understanding there Mm -hmm. that I don't have to like, you know what I mean? I don't have to edit myself. I don't have there's just an understanding there. And I was talking to her and I was like, you know, you know, before COVID, before 2020, there was this you know, just walking around and existing as a black person come came with its annoyances every mm-hmm. single day, everyday annoyances, whether it's somebody touching your hair or whether it's, you know, like. Somebody pulled mine. So, oh.
2: Lord of mercy. Oh my God. On a bus. But I'm
1: serious. Yeah, I'm serious. They yeah, pulled they your hair? Yeah, wow. he was intoxicated, but he definitely pulled it.
2: Wow that happened to my son too my youngest son has a, a whole bunch of hair he has a huge afro we never cut it since he was born and we was eating out at a restaurant pre-covid and uh the waitress came up and started touching his hair and they i had to touched, say please
0: oh my yeah.
2: god
1: he yeah talking talking he's a baby about something, oh
2: look at his touching hair and i said yeah my wife looked looked at her and was like if you don't get your hand off of your <laughs> hair." And, and I was know, like, yo. Through the gritted yeah, teeth. Crazy.
0: Through the gritted teeth, you don't get your <laughs> motherfucking hands out of my baby's hair.
2: <laughs> I had to tell her, though. I was like, "This disrespectful. You don't do that. And I had to tell her, to, you know, because we nicer than other folks. Like, you can't be doing that to black children. Don't run up and talk, you know, touch mm-hmm. black mm-hmm. kids no. hair like that. No. And she was like, well, you know, in my... Well, you know, in my culture, you know, that means it's you know it's good luck if you touch. You know, someone's like, nah, in no. our culture, you don't run up and touch black baby's head. That's no. disrespectful. You know what I mean?
0: You don't touch black babies. Don't like yeah. you don't yeah, run don't up touch and touch anybody's all, child no. ever. Any yeah. like it would never occur to me to run up and touch anybody's child, regardless, ever, yeah. ever, ever. Yeah, like especially this, if, it's crazy. That's there is this there, and this is a whole other conversation. <laughs>
2: But there is
0: this accessibility that people assume people assume accessibility to children in general that it makes me very uncomfortable, but they mm-hmm. they i feel like they do it a lot to little black kids, and I don't know if it's just because I'm sensitive about it, but like even like my Like even my niece, when we were when we would go around when she was young, she had you know you know you put the the barrettes and the boat knockers in the hair. You make the twists and you do what we do because it's your crown. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many people would touch her barrettes and be like, "Oh, what are these?" I'm like, "Get your I don't know where your hands been. Get your hands off of her." Like
2: exactly.
0: It's and it just it's one of those things that it's like this. I don't even think they realize it, but. I think that sometimes people just, you know, especially in the South, they there's this assumed accessibility to black people that that, you know, they they need to they need to deal with, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. They need, like even on some like, um I have a friend who's six five six six, real tall, beautiful black man.
1: Oh, he's you know getting touched I mean? all the time,
0: all the time, all the time all the time women come up and they touch his chest or they touch, they touch his arm. I'm like, get your hands off of him. And it's, and it's just because like, Oh, he's a big black man. He's fine. He doesn't, he doesn't that accessibility to our bodies Mm -hmm. is a whole nother area of hatred for me. But so before COVID before 2020, there's this everyday bullshit that we have to walk around with. Right. Right. And to your point, ricky like it feels like when you said like there's just too much going on (laughs) like like that i felt that in my toes like there's it just feels like there's Mm -hmm. already so much that we kind of carry in balance you know what i mean just while having our own lives and our own families and whatever but 2020 has heaped on this like it's like it seems like we get a break you know we had the 2000 2014 then 2016 then 2018 and now here we are in 2020 mm-hmm. and people are acting a fool again and we still mm-hmm. we're going through it's it's like every yeah. two years it's like oh that's right people are racist as fuck and they're killing us in the street and so but twenty 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 2020 feels like it's about to shift something, and I'm I'm curious if y'all feel this shift that's happening, and and how you are dealing with it or how you're feeling it. Because I'm I'm definitely feeling this shift of like I don't know if it's power or I don't know what it is, and I'm just curious if y'all are feeling. Maybe. Yeah, maybe it's consciousness. Yeah. What do you guys mm-hmm. think about that?
2: Well, um, yeah, I think I definitely feel. Like there's a shift. In fact, one of my good friends, um, she said, you know what, I'm moving to Africa. And she did. She's in Tanzania. Um, She couldn't take it anymore. Yeah, this was a year that she, you know, she couldn't take it anymore. She said and she (laughs) I talked to her on WhatsApp every other day and she says, you need to come to Africa. You need to bring your family. You need to come. Um, she's really worried about the future of America, to be completely honest with you. And I think the shift in consciousness has a lot to do with this fear of what will end up happening with this election. Um, Mm -hmm. Now, I, for one, would believe that if Biden wins, we're going to go back to the status quo. And the status quo is cool for America, but it's not really good for black folk, to be honest with you. But at, at the same time, there's this alternative that things will continue to be you know crazy and super exposed if trump wins um and so like it's almost like i you know i i think it's almost like a lose-lose and i don't want to get too political on there but like it's like the status quo don't work for us this new white nationalist not even new but this white nationalist approach to the presidency that is really explicit and out there for all of us to just you know experience um that doesn't work What is the future of this country? And um, I think that's the shift. You know, people are really starting to pay attention a lot more. And uh, I'll end with this. I mean, you know, we've been talking about Black Lives Matter for so long, but it seems to me one of the shifts in consciousness that I've seen a lot of people talk about is that, you know, the term has become de-radicalized in a way. Because now you see the NBA and all these corporations, they're saying Black Lives Matter And they're putting all these symbols and, you know, the commercials and on jerseys and all and all that, which seems like it could be good. But the symbolism in a way seems like an attempt. I don't know. For some some reason, I feel like it's more of an attempt to, uh, you know, piss off Trump than it is to really protest about black lives. I just wonder what ends up happening after the election. They're going to protest. Right. And. You know, we know that the demographic profile of the protests are, you know, a lot of cases are heavily white. Yeah. And so the question becomes are are y'all really marching to protest for black lives, or are you using black lives matter protests as a platform oh, to what's your motivation talk about Yeah, to talk yeah. about your issues with Trump because after that election happens and if everybody starts going away and the black folks are still out here, we still out here fighting and everything. You know the answer. Then you'll know the answer and so i think that has a lot to do with how we are shifting now we're starting to yeah
1: you took all my, my, my black twitter comments ricky um <laughs> <laughs> uh, i was gonna say uh, the same Fiona. thing i was like i know that's why i was like you took all my black twitter comments but i don't tweet mm-hmm. out. i was <laughs> thinking the same thing i was like it's a shift but it's like how long will that shift happen because like ricky said I feel like a lot of people, when they, even with the corporations putting the Black Lives Matter stuff all over the place, it's like, are you doing this because you want to keep the Black dollar? Because that's powerful too. Right. And once COVID hit and and Black Lives Matter and all of this stuff started happening, people were automatically looking to see if okay it's does my company do they care about black lives so they they knew they needed to put some kind of message out there Mm -hmm. but are you just doing it It eventually got to a point where i was like i don't know if i don't even know if this is genuine like are you really are you really concerned about black lives matter are you really saying we're gonna donate money to all of these different initiatives and stuff it's like but no what are you doing in your corporation like are you actually going to change leadership are you actually going to change the, the percentage of people who work at your corporations what are you actually gonna change yeah. yeah like are you gonna increase salaries are you gonna decrease wage gaps especially for black women because we at the bottom exactly. of the totem totem pole in terms of pay like we work we out here in the streets working same hours, probably doing more and not getting paid the same. And I'm quite frankly tired of it. So like what are you actually going to do outside of putting a sign on your email or telling me that you care, it's like, no, I need you to do some open records reports to say, this is literally how we've changed the demographic of our company and keep consistently doing that Because I was like, <clears throat> again, like Ricky said, after this election, if Biden is elected, they're going to be like, okay, we have Biden in there. Now we don't have to do any more work. We'll let him, mm-hmm. him take it over. We'll let him figure out what it looks like. We're just going to go back to, to, to we, we've just proved it, we're not racist we we love Americans and we love our country, we got Trump out so now we could just go back to business as normal, and so again, election comes it's like either we stay we stay on the the, the bandwagon of, of like burning the country down when the ship's going down in the water and it's all burning down and it has <laughs> Trump's name on it or Biden comes in like Ricky said, we go back to the status quo and they'll be like, oh well, okay process. Nah. Wait, come yeah. with, come we, win. we won. We won. Yeah.
2: See, it's, and that's it's... what I'm afraid of. Yeah, I feel like they, I, agree. I feel like that Black Lives Matter has been de- radicalized in a way, and that they're using that as a way to push Biden into the mm-hmm. White House. Like everybody say this so that we can get mm-hmm. Biden yeah. here. Yeah, So, so let's we see, don't see how have to long... Worry
1: about it anymore.
2: Yeah. 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 It means
1: we tired, and probably that's yeah. what they're saying in a way.
0: And at the end of, is. And at the end of the day. The the other thing that people don't understand is that if Biden does win, white nationalist racists are so emboldened, black people are still not going to be safe. And we might even be in worse danger at this point because now they haven't gotten what they want. They don't get what they want. They don't get this world that they want. And so my fear is after the election and if Biden is, you know, nominated or he wins, then where's our protection For the people that are going to act out and and these people that Trump has emboldened, you know what I mean? Like there's going to be backlash. So are y'all still going to be screaming black lives matter? Are you still going to Mm. be protecting us? Are you still going to be fighting for us? Or is it going to be like, Whoo (laughs) look what we did. Look what we did. That's (laughs) awesome. (laughs) Y'all work it out. Like that's my fear is like, this is the big deal now this is what they, they and they I think you're right they gen, a lot of people not everybody a lot of people genuinely this is their catalyst to get Trump out of fucking office this is the catalyst Black Lives Matter protesting this is like he's setting the world on fire this is the thing when that's done there is going to be backlash if it's done period right. period yep. you know what I mean and he- like and people get a little upset or touchy when I say this like We got George Floyd, we got Ahmaud Arbery, we got blah, blah, blah. And we're still begging, begging for justice for Breonna Taylor as a black woman. Because once again, black woman falls at the bottom of the totem pole. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, it's, it's, it's just, I don't know. I, it feels like you're getting attacked from all ends. <laughs> you know, it's like you don't mm-hmm. know which end to protect. I don't know. It's like, oh shit, should I fight as a black woman? Should I fight as a black person? Should I fight as a as a, as a queer black real. person? Should mm-hmm. I? It, it's, you know what I mean? It's like it's too, it's too shit. It's too. It's like you said. It's too. It's too much. It's too much. And I just so I don't know. much pain. I don't. Yeah. I feel like there's a lot of talk, but I question whether or not this country will ever get to a place where I feel like, okay, I feel safe. And I feel, I feel like I matter. And I feel like I'm, you know, in the eyes of the country, not in the eyes of myself, but you know what I mean? Like, I don't know mm-hmm. if we'll ever get to a place where black people are actually, um, given their due respect. <laughs>
2: yeah. Like, cause yeah. if
0: you think about it, like, we're the originators, in my opinion. In my opinion. You
2: no, know? nah, that's fact. Africa is the originator, and we know yep. how those folks look like. Yeah. <laughs> we, we We're so, the
0: originators. Culture, yeah. everything. every Everything. Trailblazers. Trendsetters. <laughs> like. yeah.
2: yeah, and that's what it is. And I think, if it's not now, um, then when is, is the question. And I think, you know, a lot of the institutions in in this country globally are are predicated on anti-blackness not just particularly racism but anti-blackness in particular and until we acknowledge that then i don't think we'll see the change and we have to acknowledge that for real for real yeah you know um and so that's that's the concern you know who's going to be able to acknowledge that when are we going to start looking at the foundation of these institutions and start changing them exactly because exactly. the institutions are, you know, the ones that are, you know, subjugating the same people over time, over and over. Yeah. So,
0: and also, speaking of the institutions, the other reason that I think that, like, the protests are, are, have the momentum that they have is because for a lot of people, this is their first, this is their, f- the first time that they've been challenged in this way like they haven't really had to deal with these struggles that are set in place for black people so this is the first time that their rights have been challenged this is the first time that their rights have been denied this is the first time that they felt unjustly treated <laughs> you know what i mean like and meanwhile we are like yeah welcome we've been here a while we appreciate y'all like we appreciate y'all showing up but yeah this is what it feels like when things are are not fair and they're set up against you and this I don't know it just it feels like I I question whether or not I don't know we'll get there I'd be lying if I didn't say I've thought about moving to Africa (laughs)
2: like (laughs) yeah I mean
0: I mean especially after black is king I'm like I know that's not what my African experience
1: would be but I (laughs) but I'm like I could dream. Yeah, we could be in those videos just start. Be like, yeah, come on, Beyonce.
2: Right. <laughs> I'm like, but you know that's what Du Bois said, though. You know Du Bois said this in nineteen, what, when eighteen ninety nine? He said that the problem of the, you know the the twentieth century is going to be the color line, mm-hmm. and he said, you know, the the whole theory of double consciousness is not that you know black people are trying to africanize america or that america is, should americanize black folk is that we should put these two things together and learn how to cooperate and to live understanding that black folk are americans as well um but you know we live in these same type of problems same type of conditions you know what i mean and this is for centuries long so the question is is when will things change because if we start seeing a whole exodus of people start moving other places. Then we, we know that that conscious shift is real yeah. and it's starting to translate into action now and yeah. not just thought.
0: I'm seeing it everywhere. I'm seeing like, I'm seeing so many people that I follow on the internet. Just like, that's it. That's it. I'm out. Like I'm out. I, yeah, yeah. I gave I it all a, the time. Yeah. I gave it a try. I tried it and not, it's not always to Africa like but it, Amsterdam mm-hmm. Australia mm-hmm. Austria mm-hmm. like you know, just like other places where they're like shit I mean let me just try somewhere else because this is clearly not working for us it's like the world has gone crazy did you like Adele has Bantu knots like that's how crazy <laughs> the
1: world is right now yeah. like I and mismatched slogans.
2: <laughs> what the
0: <laughs> fuck is happening? What is
1: going on? I'm going to recreate her picture the right way, though. <laughs> please, please, if I do, I'll send it to you.
0: Please do. I I just had to look at it and be like, what the fuck? What is happening? I don't know what this year is trying to do to us. Like I just, I'm like, I'm so confused. I'm so confused. I I was listening to the Reed podcast about. Megan the Stallion, who I adore,
1: mm-hmm. um,
0: and getting shot, and they were mm-hmm. talking about how, like, you know, she went on the internet and was like, "I didn't call the cops because I was scared Mm-mm. they would show up and shoot all of us." Mm-hmm. And at that minute, I was like, "Oh my fucking god, you can't yeah. even keep yourself safe because you're afraid." And I was like, it okay, was... and
2: that's twenty twenty in a fucking nutshell. Yep. Like, yeah. <laughs> so sad. Yeah, that's crazy. And then Tory Lanez came out and said that he's sorry because he was drunk or something like that. No, I, oh, like, I didn't hear wow. that part. Yeah, it was like in some text message or whatnot. So in a text talk, message. I'm, yeah, well, you can't apologize for for shooting nobody. <laughs> in
0: a text message.
2: Yeah. Apparently he may have tried to re- it was a couple days after the actual incident, so um, maybe he was trying to reach out. Oh
0: my and God. um
2: I don't know. I I don't know what's going on, but like it's, it's just been a crazy year, you know. We that, you know, Megan the Stallion being shot, um you know, we lost Chadwick with Bozeman. Oh. You know, so many different things. I, Kobe Bryant.
0: Um, oh I, it's, it's let me, too much. It's too, like much. too much. I, this Chadwick was the second time it happened when Kobe, when Kobe Bryant died. I found that when I was at work and I just, I burst into tears at work because yeah. I was like, you gotta be fucking kidding me. Yeah. You gotta be fucking kidding me. And went through all these conversations with, because I just refused to not have the conversations with, through all these conversations with people like he's a predator. He's a rapist. He's a, and I had those fights because, hmm because fuck you. That's because. I, so I had those arguments and I had those fights, period, point blank. I was ready. Anybody could have got it. I was, I'm, not, I'm sorry. I'm not fixing to <laughs> yeah. play with you about this. like that. And then Chadwick, Chadwick. And I was like, you gotta be fucking kidding me, man.
2: Yeah, Come I on.
0: Know, man. I this man was working with cancer, never said a word.
1: Yeah. But can you blame him, though? Because you think he, no. he would have gotten to do all that stuff that no. he did, mm-hmm. they would have
0: been like, mm, nah. And yeah. also, ain't that the black way, though?
2: Yep, a lot of hidden underlying issues that we go through.
0: We just deal with it and People make it work. People just don't know. That's yeah. true. And keep it pushing. We just deal with it and keep it pushing because true. that is, it's just instilled in us from childhood. Like, mm-hmm. You just gotta keep moving and keep pushing and keep pushing. And I question...
2: It hurts us, too. Yeah.
0: yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because then you it's think right. about all the people that just ignore their bodies and ignore mm-hmm. what their bodies are telling them, and and not even counting those that don't have access to good care, But that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> a whole nother conversation. So yeah. you guys are already doing a lot of work. You're already doing the work to try to change like policy and research. Like I feel like that's just a huge major step in kind of like setting back this institutionalized prejudice that we go through. So for the next 6 months to a year, what would you like to see? Like what are some some attainable goals that you'd like to see, not just for Texas but for the country for black people. What would you just even as it as it applies to what the work that you're doing all of it. What would you like to see?
1: I can say for me, I just and I was on the phone with my mom this morning to the point where I was just crying because I was like, <laughs> black women go through so much and get so little attention and we labor and we go through and 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 nobody ever really kind of recognizes what's happening. So my attention, my bias is gonna be black women, black women with the X between the the M and the N non binary. Mm-hmm. Right. The individuals also included in that group. Right. I, I just I just I want more attention. I want more highlight. I want more focus on addressing those issues at the core. Because once you start to address the issues of like well, like with Megan Thee Stallion, how she how she literally didn't talk about what happened because she wanted to protect not only protection from the police because she didn't want them to come shoot her, but protecting him as a black man from getting shot right. up because he exactly. did the shooting. Exactly. And so, like, all that protection that we're providing for other people, all the shields, all the problems that we're fixing, I, I just want some reciprocity. Like, some respect, like Aretha said. <laughs> I want that. <laughs> um, I want to see the, the plight of black women in this country improve. And I'm not talking about, like, no little handouts. I, I want people to get real about what's happening with Black women in terms of maternal mortality and how across socioeconomic status, age, everything, every demographic, those numbers are still the same and are still disparate for Black women. So I just want more shifting attention to Black women and our issues because I, I think it's important. And that's what I want to see in the next six months. I want to see them in Congress, all these women in Congress. Yay, mm-hmm. you there. What are you gonna do? what are, we doing? Like, what what are you we doing what' you doing for the sisters yep um Biden Kamala, you out there, black woman which what are you doing for the sisters like I want and i I want it to be intentional, and that's not to say just to ignore everyone else, but those issues are unique and nuanced, and nobody's though I feel like not enough people. I won't say nobody because I will not invalidate the work that black women people of color and other allies are doing out there, but Mm -hmm. I feel like there could be more work done. So that's, that's my soapbox.
0: I mean, I will say, I agree with that. I think that for the amount of influence that we have on just about everything, you know what I mean? For the amount of influence, for the amount of things that come from black women or are, you know, based off of black women or the black, Like our influence alone, I feel like I wish it garnered more attention to our struggles and our challenges. Mm -hmm. I agree with you 100% on that. I agree with you. Yeah. What about you, Ricky?
2: Wow, there's so much. Um, <laughs> you know, everything. <laughs> everything, the, black.
0: We were everything, everything black. <laughs> we, we everything, everything black. Everything black. Everything black. Everybody black. <laughs> everything
2: black for real. Oh, my gosh. And I second everything. I second everything that Tracy said. Um, you know, I second everything that she said, especially when it comes to maternal mortality. That has been an issue in, in, in America for black women for too long. You know what I mean? We're going back into the slavery days and the gap. Between blacks and whites continues to be extremely high, even though both are trending low. It's still a wide gap, mm-hmm. and a lot of it is due to uh, a lot of the microaggressions that black women uh, endure every day through racism, and you know um, these things that a lot of people say. Oh, well, that doesn't exist, right? And so, um, but you know, as far as like, there's so many things to focus on, and I just wish that we had more focus on what it means to live in spaces that are violent towards you not just in terms of policing but in housing and in education all these things intersect Mm -hmm. and they are you know they're they're Pushing out violence toward the same communities over time, all of the time. So if we're having a conversation about policing, we should try to reimagine a world where we don't need police. We should try to reimagine a world where we don't need prisons and that people are getting the help and the accommodations that they need if they find themselves, quote unquote, committing a crime. We should reimagine these things. We should reimagine a world Where, you know, the microaggressions that black women go through are investigated, interrogated until they don't exist anymore. And that doesn't translate into higher maternal mortality rates. We should investigate how doctors, um, you know, their relationships with black patients and Hispanic patients and patients who are of a different cultural background them at all. Like, all of the issues have always been the same. Mm-hmm. And I think what we're asking for, it's not really asking, but demanding, is that are y'all going to really pay attention to these issues? And it, Can we hit them up for real, for real? Can we start trying to reimagine a world where these things don't exist so that we can live in a society where it's more civic and, you know, for real? Or are we still going to just prolong and start using good language to make it seem as if we're going to do these things? Right. So um, I think the biggest threat to America right now is the continuation of all these uh, ordeals and this new thing about this neoliberal project is going to be really dangerous for for black folk and um, immigrants and Latinos and and everybody. So I I really feel like we need to push back on that and really understand what that looks like, because racial capitalism has no type of feelings towards us
0: at all. (laughs) And Really quickly before we go So neoliberalism is something That you said twice And that honestly I'm just now The last like week or so I'm even hearing this Do you want to just like kind of explain What that is a little bit because I'm guessing It'll be the first time that people that hear this have heard That term too
2: Right so neoliberalism and if I wanted To just put it in a nutshell we're just talking about Privatization we're talking about this Free market concept we're talking about Governments no longer believing that public services are uh, something to provide to people and yeah. that we should instead invest in corporations mm-hmm. that can provide that work for a profit. And so when I when I relate neoliberalism to, you know, capitalism, what I'm saying is that not there's certain things that you just cannot do that with. Right. Because if you rely on corporations to provide services to people and they do it to make profit, then it's always going to inhibit the people who really need these services you're trying to make money off of them so an example of this is in chicago when they destroy all these public housing units of course some of these public housing units need there was a lot of issues with that and this is dating back to you know for, for a long time but when you destroy these units and you build market rate housing and you displace people and you don't even care where they go you know um you're making the city of Chicago a place, a richer place, and this is stirring gentrification and everything, but you're not even trying to invest in the people who live in these particular properties. Right. You're saying you go wherever you need to go. So it's a every man for himself type of thing, and yeah. those who are at the bottom of the tier will never be able to survive that because they never had the investment. Um, it just makes a, a crazy, uneven uh, playing field worse, so... Yeah. Just think about privatization a lot and just think about free markets and how people are have been restricted from participating in that market for so long. Mm -hmm. And now they're expected to just be able to participate in it Mm -hmm. now, even though they have never gotten any accommodation or help.
0: Right. To piggyback off of that, that is just that is exactly kind of what's happening in Austin right now on the east side. That's exactly what's happening. They are not it's not just about. It's not just about simple gentrification. They are wiping out any and most history for Black people on the East side. They're tearing it down. They're wiping it out. And they're not putting anything into place to be like, hey, this is what this used to be. Here's the rich history. Here's how we can support and keep the people that have been here for 50 and 60 and 30 and 20 years. Here's how we can support these people. That's not what's happening.
2: Um, Yeah. It's, there's no money in that for Austin, exactly, is what they'll say.
0: Exactly. There's no money in that. There's
2: so much money. Was soon in, in picture Rosewood Courts. Rosewood Courts have been yep. in East Austin, one of the first public housing units in the in the nation, uh-huh, right, after uh-huh. the Great Depression. I implore everybody to pay attention to what happens to Rosewood Courts in the next five to ten years. Because yep. I guarantee you, if neoliberalism continues to operate, those people will be displaced. I don't know where they will go, but that is going to be so, turned into some nice condo and um, that's what that's what this is about. Right. And so re- with neoliberalism within these central mm-hmm. cities, we start to see the suburbanization of poverty. We start seeing people mm-hmm. being pushed out to the suburbs. They have limited access to, you know, health care. You know, and now they got to do all the traveling and everything. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't have vehicles. So mm-hmm. they it, it right. becomes a greater problem that we need to have to start focusing on.
0: Agreed. So and stop and
2: I could talk all day about that so you yeah. stop talking
0: and I, and I also <laughs> want Austin to stop you know creating um articles about why they ain't got no black people. Anyways. Yeah. <laughs> it's like where are all the black people going? We're down to less than five percent. Anyway, let's tear down all this black shit. Let's get like it's just like
2: Exactly. It's, it's, where did they go?
0: It's like what is left? let's just
2: shut down the schools they go to and, <laughs> exactly. and see you know, come on now. Exactly.
0: <laughs> they started with Johnson and it's just anyways. Anyways, um, so I want to thank the two of you for being on with me. I know that you guys got other stuff that y'all have to do today. This has been awesome. Thank you so much. Like, I can't even properly describe how good it feels to have this conversation with black people.
2: <laughs> have fun.
0: Yes, thank
2: um, you for having us. So thank you.
0: everybody, please, please, please. Um, Actually, know what? I'm not going to do that would you guys like to tell people where they can find you and where some things that you would like for them to check out?
2: Uh, yeah. So, uh, my Twitter is R H low J R. So it's R H L O W E J R. And that's also my Instagram. Um, and I'm on Facebook here and there. Um, always follow IUPRA. Please come to our site at UT Austin. Um, you can just put it in Google and type I U P R A. That's where you'll see all of our research. Related to everything that we've been doing. We have a lot of stuff coming out as it relate. I feel like I'm marketing something. Uh, we have a lot of stuff coming out as it relates to uh, incarceration among black women. That, that'll probably be within the next couple of months. Um, we have a lot of recent stuff that we're going to be working on as well as it relates to, you know, just issues happening in, in education and criminal justice in Austin. So, um, yeah.
1: The uh, it's liberalarts.utexas.edu. It then a slash and you will find all the information. You can find information about the podcast, opportunity forum, and anything in all of our publications. Perfect.
0: And we will put that information in the show notes as well, so that I'm pretty sure we will. Mariah will do it. She always. She does everything. She's amazing. <laughs> um, <laughs> thank you guys for coming again. Thank you so much. This was awesome. Okay, I want to thank Tracy and Ricardo for being my guests. I want to thank you all for listening. Once again, I'm Nikki Devon, and if you've enjoyed today's episode, share with a friend. Leave me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and tell me why you think I'm so awesome. You can also follow me on social media. All the links are in the show notes. And you can catch me this Saturday emceeing Brown South. Ticket information is also in the show notes. Until next time, please stay safe and remember you are fucking awesome.